Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, Hugh Drummond joins me for 321 Go. Then, Jamie Dunbar speaks to Prabodh Shaplunkar, CEO of Ithena. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom and I catch up on all things current events. All right, for 321 Go this week, uh, Cosmo has stepped aside to let our own Hugh Drummond step in and uh, join me this week. Hugh, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me again. Thanks for joining us on this holiday week. Um, Wanted to talk a little bit about something we had talked about this week, and then I saw a story in, uh, I think it was Outdoor Magazine or Outdoor Journal, um, that was really, what are some of the good things? And I use good in almost in quotations because we are in the midst of a pandemic and there's nobody that is undermining or wants to mitigate um, just the, the devastation that this virus has caused so many uh, people in the economy. But there are glimmers of some good things. Um, you know, this article focused sort of on climate and how certainly the outdoors are, have been appreciated. Uh, we've seen some changes in, in good progress with our with our climate because people weren't out driving or flying or using trains, things like that. But it's kind of more than that. There's some very simple ways of life that seem to be coming back. And I just wanted to touch on that because I know that you've obviously been spending a lot more time at home with your family, as have so many of us. But there are there are moments that have emerged, I think, in recent months that people are starting to say, like, well, this is nice. Yeah. I mean, like you said, when you started, I mean, this is, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's horrible, um, truly horrible. It's disrupted uh, so many uh, businesses, lives, educations, and, and then families have, have lost loved ones. At the same time, um, you're right. I'm home, uh, you're home, and I'm spending uh, time seeing things with my children that I didn't see before um, being at work. Um, we're doing things together. We, we're bonding in different ways. Um, it's in a way, you know, family dinners, something as simple as a family dinner has become, uh, a, a nightly routine. And that wasn't the case before. So there are elements of this that are really, really special when you, when you think about it. Yeah, I know that for me, uh, a moment came, and I've talked about this on our podcast before, that I was really hoping that drive-in movies made a comeback because I went to drive-in movies a lot as a kid. I loved them. And with movie theaters closed, that maybe that would be an option. And I had the opportunity to to go this past Friday, took my son. He thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, not only was it you know, a parking lot with just a big inflatable screen, there, were, it happened, there was lightning bugs flying around. It was just this very simple kind of idyllic moment that you looked around and you just saw so many families together on a Friday night, including teenagers that probably on any other Friday night would have been more out with their friends or doing something else. And um, it did make me pause and for a moment, find something to be grateful for amidst all of this. Um, My son will be seven in September, and this is the most amount of time I've ever spent with him. Um, Yeah. That's the three months of, you know, I was home for three months on maternity leave when he was born. Um, That has gone beyond this. And I really have, there's been days where, my gosh, it's been incredibly difficult. Don't get me wrong. But 
that it that it's a gift. Um, and I've tried to look at it through that lens. And I think a lot of people are starting to kind of realize, to your point, family dinners that are, you know, you no longer have everyone moving in seven different directions with activities. People are home to make a meal because we're all working from home. Um, and some of those simple pleasures that I hope that we all sustain when we do go back to whatever normal looks like. I, I agree. And the other, it's funny, you mentioned driving theater. A neighbor of mine had, uh, did a, like a pop-up in their backyard. They set up the kids in um, one side of it and they have like a fire pit so people can stay apart. But um, they, they had the projector going or a little yeah, mini projector and stuff is kind of cute. The other thing though that I think is really interesting um, to see is the amount of um, compassion or volunteerism or um, kind of uh, in, initiative that that people are show, uh, showing. So, for instance, um, people. Um, Jobs are hard to, to get right now, especially for younger people that are just looking for, um, you know, the, the typical summer job. So I noticed like on our town uh, resident Facebook page, people are posting um, uh, their availability to come and do a chore for you. Or uh, other people are uh, getting together to uh, bundle some uh, essentials uh, that they can drop off at a uh, you know, uh, uh, someone less fortunate. And so I think there's a spirit of community that has um, gotten an exclamation part, uh, mark uh, through this. And, and I really hope that that is sustained. Yeah, well, we'll have to uh, do a follow-up conversation about this a year from now and see where we're at. <laughs> Sounds good. Switching gears a little bit as we, it's really nice to think about the good that is coming out of uh, all of this, despite some, a lot of terrible things that are certainly overwhelming. Um, we had Dr. Fauci this week testifying about the numbers and just the direction that this country is going, and he dropped some staggering statistics and information um, that is, I think, nerve wracking. Right. We're all starting to think maybe we're kind of coming out of this. And if you paid attention to his testimony or read about it, uh, he's essentially saying not so fast. Right. I mean, he, he makes it clear that w the virus is not under control by any means, um, that an outbreak in another part of the country puts the whole country at risk. And um we are uh, currently around 40,000 cases a day, and, and he threw out the number of, uh, he would not be surprised to see it uh, go to 100,000 cases a day. And I mean, those numbers are staggering. In Massachusetts, uh, June 30th uh, in Massachusetts, we had no fatalities. And it was the first time since March uh, uh, 20th that Massachusetts did not have a COVID-related fatality. And and, and that's very good news. And, and I think um, Massachusetts is one of the leading states right now in terms of uh, being uh, responsible in, in their response. Um, 
At the same time, I think that we can't let our guard down because we know that there are hot spots uh, breaking out all across the country. And um, the it's funny. I, I went back and looked at a uh, a news story from the middle of March when, as a country, we had uh, about 20,000 cases. And their projections at that time were maybe we could reach 200,000 deaths. Um, but it could be as, uh, as few as 19,000. And, you know, the reality is we're at 127,000 right now and, and 2.6 million cases. So Dr. Fauci has been pretty fact, uh, speaking with facts since day one. And, um, you know, as scary as it is, he, he's been pretty accurate all along. Yeah, when I read that number, it certainly startled me. Um, and again, I think because so many of us as states in the country are are reopening uh, in different phases, depending on where you are and going backwards in some, depending on what the numbers are saying. But there is a little bit of this false sense of security that comes with reopening. People think that, oh, OK, well, that must mean that it's not that serious anymore. And that's just not the case. And if people don't take it seriously, we're going, we could very easily find ourselves going backwards and then some. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, it was a little disconcerting. However, something that we all need to hear. Um, to be reminded. Definitely. Um, so with that in mind, people are <laughs> antsy to get out of their homes. <laughs> And a change of scenery, if you will, is very good for for mental health, I think, uh, at this point, particularly if you haven't gone very far or for some people who really haven't left their homes at all. It's summer. People have vacations planned. They're wondering what to do. And Massachusetts is essentially saying, we want you to travel in Massachusetts. Well, there's a lot to do in Massachusetts. and There is. A lot of times people people overlook the, the things that they can do very close to home. And uh, so I think it's an interesting campaign. It, it um, you know, looks at the various tourism regions of, of the state. There's going to be billboards, uh, digital billboards and MBA, MBTA stations are going to have things. Um, but, you know, I'm all about just uh, staying local, um, local meaning regional and mm-hmm. um you know, we'll we'll take the family down to the Cape. Uh, we will, uh, uh, of course, practice uh, social distancing guidelines. Um, but you know, get out into nature and and enjoy right now. I mean, it's um, there's there's so much around us, and uh, you know the, the the parks you drive by and say, I wonder what that you know what goes on there. I wonder you know what it's like there. Now's the time to pull over and stop and take a walk. Yeah, and so the regional tourism councils are launching a, a billboard campaign. There'll be digital billboards, MBTA stations um, with, I think, said postcards, quote unquote, from various tourism regions around the state. And to your point, Massachusetts one ha- does it has a lot to offer. There's something for everyone. If you want beaches, if you want woods, if you want hiking, um, there's also a lot of history. But the other thing that we should remember is that the travel and tourism industry is really important to our commonwealth and our economy. Um, And that's certainly a way to help give something back there. 
Absolutely. Um, stop, get a cup of coffee, buy a, buy a takeout um, meal, what, you know, whatever it is. And, um, it, you know, people are longing to get out right now. Um, it, it's funny. I sit, uh, I've, my office setup is on the first floor of my house and a normal quiet, a normally quiet residential street. I see people going by all day long, you know, in these group walks and stuff like that. People I don't know, like, <laughs> you know, where are they coming from? But the, um, I fully encourage the thing that always interests me is when I drive and I see markers uh, around uh, or I see uh, look at a map and, and digital map and, and see the uh, a park that's in the next town over or a site. And now's the time to go and check it out and, and, and see what's around there. And you're right. Uh, uh, go to the local businesses and, and check them out as well. Well, keep me posted on your travels. I'll keep a log or follow me Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> oh, follow Hugh's Twitter. Um, well, thank you very much uh, for joining me this week as uh, Cosmo was unavailable. He's taking some time off and perhaps maybe uh, doing a little bit of local travel himself. So Hugh Drummond, thanks again. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. This is Jamie Dunbar, Senior Vice President of O'Neill & Associates. Today, I have the great pleasure of having Prabod Chiplunker, CEO of Ithena, joining us. Uh, welcome, Prabod. We're glad you, uh, we certainly are glad to be working with you as a client. I'm just as happy to have you today on our podcast, OA On Air. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Ithena, history, successes, your current client base? Excellent. Well, first, uh, thank you for the opportunity to yeah, work with you and uh, the rest of the ecosystem with uh, O'Neill and Associates. Um, we're a, a digital uh, company that drives a lot of uh, modern application integration that provides customers the opportunity to bring in things like artificial intelligence, analytics, automation to the forefront of transforming their businesses. And Athena has built certain solutions that are integrating. IoT or Industrial Internet of Things, along with a lot of the web, mobile, digitization components within commerce to really provide an easy-to-use experience for constituents, whether they're in the B2B space or B2C space or uh, across multiple industries. And so we've got a smart city-focused application stack mm -hmm. using our persona-based applications, uh, as well as we thoroughly uh, believe in the longevity of things that provide uh, a SaaS type model. So a lot of uh, uh, operational value for our customers so they don't have to put a lot of uh, money up front into software development and applications. So really enabling the digital economy using Internet of Things and a lot of the modern experience for customers, Jamie. Certainly that smart city approach and some of your sensor technology applications um, are, are you know, great value to uh, institutions, large end users of, of energy, uh, of water, of data, of information, all of that. And I've, I've certainly been witness to the intricate uh, yet very uh, intuitive and easy to use dashboards that uh, provide, um, you know, a great resource to those 
folks that utilize your services. Certainly, yeah. And I'll also kind of leave you with this, Jamie, from an introduction perspective. Uh, not only smart cities and smart manufacturing um, or life sciences, automotive energy is our focus, but we also, in the current uh, kind of state of affairs around the world, uh, when we're in a global pandemic, it's important for us to look at technology-enabled capability to get back uh, our workforce, whether it's in uh, factories or hospitals or government or commercial institutions, back to work safely. So with that, we have introduced an integrated technology solution using IoT, a lot of the digital components I talked about earlier, and really create a safer opportunity for uh, Americans and, and folks all across the world to go back safely to workplace. You know, it's so important as so many states, well, I guess that's specific to the United States, I think even as the world begins to get back to work sort of uh, in the midst of a pandemic and uh, as states are starting to see a little bit of a decline, certainly here in New England uh, and in Massachusetts, you know, returning to work and reopening workplaces and asking the workforce to return, it is so key to ensure that there are still metrics um, and, and safety protocols put in place uh, so that there's a level of confidence and more importantly, hopefully a level of monitoring to do our best to uh, avoid a, a major rebound or second wave, as it's been called. Um, so certainly, you know, that's applicable across the board for both uh, colleges and universities, uh, other institutions, manufacturing facilities, government, commercial buildings alike. Uh, tell us a little bit more about how uh, uh, the applications you're developing work. So we've built an application called iSafe, and as the name suggests, it's uh, Ithena's safety solution for various industries, including manufacturing and commercial facilities, warehouses and fleet operations, companies in logistics space, hospitals and care facilities, and certainly universities and, and school buildings or any other government buildings that uh, are, uh, are getting people back to work. And then various functions in them would, would care about compliance and just having folks uh, safe, uh, safely return to the workplace and then provide some preemptive capability to monitor and uh, identify uh, folks that uh, could still have some sort of risk profile. Either they develop it in the facility or possibly um, over time as they're getting back to work. So folks like facilities management, human resources, operations management are some of the functions that we deal with to help um, create the iSafe environment for them to be uh, operating in this new mode of uh, economy. Uh, certainly there's, you know, besides the element of safety and governance, uh, certainly there's business benefit to applications like these because uh, keeping uh, a factory or a line or a machine down for a certain time you look at lost man hours, uh, downtime of, of production, and the loss of opportunity in an already suffering economy, I think would uh, be incrementally detrimental. So to uh, ensure we can kind of arrest the bleed, if I may, uh, iSafe helps do that uh, on the manufacturing shop floor and a lot of the commercial facilities and, and warehouses where we're able to provide kind of three or four buckets of functionality, if I may say so. And one of them, obviously, the key one is 
looking at the EBTs, uh, which is the elevated body temperatures of individuals that are coming in, and whether that's through um, uh, thermographic technology and then mapping that with their facial recognition capability. So that's one, the EBT count and the ability to identify that. Second, to understand the, the risk areas or hotspots, if you may, within a large uh, facility, whether it's a multi-story commercial building or a largely spread out warehouse or manufacturing plant, um, it's important to identify those hotspots um, along with uh, the, op the ability to just detect uh, high fever. Of course, all of this has to be implemented on the, on, the, on the facility with some sort of social distancing norm, um, especially for those that are either in uh, you know, manufacturing type setup or distribution type setup, uh, or even in a uh, field operations type uh, function. So we've really implemented some great uh, capability to both alert people that are getting close to each other, as well as then internally identify in a command center type application where that uh, those instances might have had where people were um, not being able to maintain uh, distancing. And then fourth, uh, and certainly not the least, probably one of the most important elements of the application is the integrated uh, impact analysis uh, of at-risk folks and then be able to integrate that with system of record. So for either alerting, either identifying who all were in contact with a possibly integrated uh, infected individual or at-risk individual and be able to then have them take a, a self-test. We have a bot that's built on this technology as well uh, or have their manager get alerted or their you know, line management uh, be aware of the four or five or seven different chains of things that uh, they might've followed in their day. So mm. all in all, uh, the ability for us to identify at-risk individuals all the way to take an action on them uh, in whatever capacity the institution and eventually the government would want to have that is an important element that. For sure. So you're saying any population sort of returning back to some level of normalcy, whether it's a student body coming back to, to college or university, uh, dorm life, student center, classroom buildings, uh, or, or you know, manufacturing facilities as they reopen their doors if they were not you know, already operational due to sort of the essential workplace. But this, is, this has the ability to identify folks with elevated body temps, notify the folks that have been deemed to, uh, you know, sort of safety officers or, or, or senior leads at each of those facilities, and then the ability to sort of track and trace where that individual may have been. And then additionally, I, I love the social distancing aspect of it, too, where it can identify if populations are, you know, gathering in too large of a crowd too close together as it relates to these facilities. Um, that, that's, a, that's an incredible amount of information uh, that I'm sure a lot of folks would uh, really enjoy to have at, at their fingertips, um, given uh, the response to the pandemic and, and that sort of this life does go on and, and we are trying to bring the economy back to life. That's an excellent point, Jamie. Any facility that has a traffic center of sorts, whether it's student body whether it's uh, folks in the factory or folks in commercial buildings, I think this is an important element of uh, first identification and then traceability. And then intermittent capability for somebody developing something through the day 
is equally important. I've seen some of our customers that have uh, looked at this technology actually had uh, you know, maybe a human detection uh, through a handheld thermometer at the entrance of three or four you know, building gates that people were coming in and out of. And while that's a good immediate turn um, uh, solution, I think long-term, we have to be able to get to a place where we can provide such capability uh, sans people, if I may, and really integrate the entire traceability of an individual within a certain periphery. So I think it's uh, gonna be important that these systems aren't isolated. Um, so a lot of thermographic camera capability exists. There's some components of uh, social distancing with some technology you can implement. But I think bringing it together and be able to trace and govern that, especially for those that might be up for government funding, for those institutions that are going to be looking at governing the plant by even one case and they'd have to shut it down, I think incredibly important for them to not have a risk of life uh, and, and spend some time and energy in putting technologies like these that are integrated together. Yeah, and I think you're hitting on the point that I certainly am thinking about when I think about iSafe and everything that you outlined it, it can and does do. You know, I feel like there are a lot of folks grasping at individual applications and solutions to provide a lot of what Athena can do in its own encapsulated application. That's um, and, and instead of procuring three and four and five different either technologies uh, or, and or creating you know, a, a thick Bible book of procedures, uh, this certainly streamlines most of what uh, anyone sort of uh, in a, in a pandemic world needs to cover in order to do the best to provide a safe environment. Absolutely. And I think you uh, said it well. We've taken the, the holistic approach, which is what kind of Athena was built off of, which is we've got to create an experience that is easy to manage, although your sources of information could be a device, in this case cameras, or a, a beacon of sorts that beeps when you get close to somebody within a certain range. And then who all you might have passed that uh, if you turn out to be uh, high fever during the day, who all would you have passed and what steps do we need to do? So we've got a nice little uh, uh, kind of a graph chart type of technology that we've integrated that shows, you know, if X person was uh, detected to be high fever, they passed through five other people and those five people need to be checked. Uh, maybe more uh, intermittently than, than what they are today, as well as, um, you know, send text messages to their managers just to ensure that they're aware to do double check in the morning when the individual comes back in. So this provides at least governance that companies are taking measures, number one. Second, it creates the uh, incumbents on the employee as well because we've provided some self-learning bots or self-assessment bots every so often. Um, uh, that that people can take saying, look, I might have gone out last night and I'm not sure what would have um, happened. And I think I know somebody was infected there. It's easy before you come into work to, to maybe fill that out. But if during the work, if you were okay while coming in, but during the day, if you're feeling, um, uh, you may not know that you're possibly getting symptoms, but certainly if uh, the temperature comes out um, to be above normal, that's certainly a great indication. And that's where a lot of the, uh, you know, IoT type technology that 
we're providing uh, into the facilities will help. Yeah, I love that randomized, uh, the box piece of it, where there's some randomized check-ins uh, just to keep on top of the population as well. And that's, uh, that's really important, especially if they take it serious and or, you know, you put other protocols in place mandating that they respond to uh, such inquiries. That's right. Yeah. So I'll just, again, you know, maybe summarize some of the features there. It's, it's contactless, contactless uh, ability to, um, to, to track uh, or, or look for EBTs. Uh, it's sub-second scans, so it's not like a long process. It's a plug-and-play uh, technology from a camera and software perspective as well, and certainly with the accuracy that we need. And then once it's determined as to which individual uh, you know, might be a case or at-risk individual, we've got the integration of alerting and notification to their chain of command. Second, more enterprise data integration in terms of if this individual had had, an itch, had, had some history, what floor they sit on, and hence, you know, if it's an open cube versus uh, an office, and maybe there's some rules to be built there. Uh, certainly, then, if there's a lot of crowded folks in that area, the detection of hotspots, and then the the analytics that I mentioned about uh, kind of the graph DB type approach, which showcases um, who all they might have come in contact with um, from a social distancing perspective. So, really, put say you know, the entirety of your day in uh, in a single suite of products rather than you going after market to go get multiple things um, uh, and, and then have disparate systems and people trying to integrate and making sense out of it. Mm. And it's so important because, like I said, folks are not sure what direction to go and to have a tool that they can rely on that covers all those bases is just really important. So certainly for our listening audience, anyone who would like to learn more about Ithena and, and the iSafe product, obviously you can come to us at O'Neill & Associates. But Prabod, why don't you uh, share with folks uh, where, where you would like them to also go to, to get additional information? Sure. You can visit www.ithena.ai. That's I-T-H-E-N-A dot A-I. And, uh, if you uh, fill out a contact us form or interest in one of the specific applications, um, you'll get details there and we'd love to follow through with you. Or like Jamie mentioned, uh, there's another channel with O'Neill that you can help uh, reach back to them. And then certainly we'd love to figure out if there's needs that we can help assess and uh, build a safer uh, uh, facility uh, and workplace for you and your uh, institution. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Prabod. Again, it is uh, Prabod Chiplunker, CEO of Ithena. Uh, thank you for your time today. Thank you for that uh, explanation. Thank you for developing iSafe. And uh, we certainly hope that it'll be coming to as many local businesses, uh, uh, government buildings, institutions of higher learning and manufacturing facilities uh, all across the country and even further from there. So thanks again for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hi, Kyan. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing fine. It's nice to talk to you this week.
This is the yeah. beginning, I think, of March, April, May, June, July. A fourth month we're completing is lockdown in remote, working in remote and staying oh out God. of harm's way. It's crazy to think that we've been we've yeah. been doing it this long. And particularly yeah. if we look back when we all, I think, said our goodbyes on that last day thinking, oh, we'll all see each other in a few weeks. Right? Absolutely. Well, nobody knew then. And frankly, nobody knows now. Although Dr. Fauci um, has come out today and said we're losing, we're having a gaining, I guess is the word, 40,000 new cases of coronavirus a day in this country. And if we don't start socially distancing, if we don't, uh, if we don't start doing the right thing, then it's going to go to 100,000 a day, uh, the news report said. And he was testifying before Congress when he said that. I'm fascinated. I'm sorry. And wearing a mask. And wearing a mask and, yeah, and washing your hands and socially distancing and staying six feet away from people and uh, don't go into halls that are enclosed and be careful when you're out, you know, uh, you know, at, at restaurants, al fresco, and just keep your, keep your awareness up. That's, that's kind of the key. Um, and yet my wife and I go by. Uh, restaurants where we see people dining, socially distant from one another, uh, with with masks as they go in, and the servers have masks. But you go by some of the some of the bars which, you know, are, are, are inhabited by younger people, and there's not much social distancing, and there's not much mask wearing, and uh, I'm concerned about it to be very honest with you. So, and that's happening here in Massachusetts, where Charlie Baker, the governor, and and uh, Marty Walsh, the mayor, have done a pretty good job uh, keeping mm -hmm. people, you know, aware as to what's going on and so forth. But Fauci is doing the same thing for America, and you just wonder what's going on in places like Florida, or Arkansas, Texas, North and South Carolina, and Georgia. I mean, it's the Southern Sun Belt and it's the Midwest that are now the new epicenters, which are concerning, very concerning. So, and I think it certainly serves as a warning for for so many of us, and and for Massachusetts and the northeast states that seem to be leading the way and and doing well with transmission rates being down and cases lowering. Florida, we saw a reversal. Uh, they're you know shutting down bars and restaurants now, and you know it's this false sense of security that people are unfortunately falling into right. where they think just because things are opening back up that the the virus is not as prominent and that's just not the case um i don't it, it's it's definitely been an interesting time and in, in looking at how different states and different societies and, and cultures have have managed it and um particularly this idea you know there's all these memes and, and social media uh, content and things out there talking about how wearing a mask should not be political, uh, but somehow it has become political, particularly as we are in the midst of a presidential election and our two candidates, one being the president and the other Democratic nominee, Biden, are approaching mask wearing from two very different stand standings. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? Huh? Pretty fascinating. But anyway, uh, you know, even the vice president this week, when you say to not wear a mask or wear a mask has, has become political, even the vice president this week has been wearing a mask. Even McConnell in Kentucky have been telling people 
it's it's better than being on in an oxygen tent of, of being you know treated in a hospital to wear a mask and you know it's uh, it's it's absolutely something that people have got to be prepared for and pay attention to um and you just can't stop talking about it and half the, it seems like half the com- country is concerned about it the other half of the country is less concerned perhaps than they should be about it um yeah it's it's fascinating to me the other story this week is that that Biden kind of sitting in his cellar staying out of harm's way keeping keeping sentences and speeches short commentary short and crisp uh he's letting he's letting Trump run against Trump and uh it's it's hurt as we can see in the USA today poll which was put out this morning um uh, fascinating Joe Biden is leading is leading Donald Trump by 5 points nationally and uh by 10 points or close to 10 points when there's a third party candidate and he's doing so in the swing states as well where you you get to see you know the 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 growth of the widening of of the and separation of Biden over Trump depending on the state you're in anywhere from 5 points to 12 points so right now if the election were held Joe Biden would be the next president of the United States as we know anything can happen you know we can politics is a lifetime um but it's all tending to go in the right direction and uh, i i think that what joe biden is doing as a strategy is working pretty well and wearing a mask whenever he emerges and wearing a mask whenever he emerges to complete the circle That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air via social distancing. But before we go, I have to give a shout out to Ashley Lockin, one of our podcast producers who helps make all of this happen every week. Uh Ashley is leaving us and on behalf of all of us here at O'Neill and Associates, we wish you nothing but the best. We will miss you terribly and we thank you for all of your incredible work.